All right, so we're in, still in Romans. <laughs> we're still in Romans. Can, can I ask you if you remember the last time I was here? Did you did you continue any more after that, or are you pretty much in the same place? No, we we went on. Uh, we're now in chapter fourteen. Uh, so we are we have made some progress, and we got down to verse twelve. And I'm just going to recap a little bit from last week so that we have a context. Uh, this, these last few chapters, even when he talks about being subject to the government, really are set in the context of love. And that love behaves differently than the world behaves. And so um, he's continuing this into the issue of observing days and eating, uh, what we eat, um, and of course, we understand that the eating part is has to do with the worship of idols, of, of uh, eating meat offered to idols as an act of worship. And Paul's saying, you know, if you're not worshiping the idol and you're just eating the meat, there's no problem. But if you are worshiping the idol, the weak man would be one who would be led astray by the eating to worship the idol. And then the judging one day to be better than another uh, has to do possibly with feast days, uh, special religious days, but it also could involve the seventh-day Sabbath, and here's why I think that. There's, there's no clear marker to tell us one way or the other. But the reason I think that is because in Desire of Ages, page 550, Ellen White makes a statement that we are not called to force people to our way of thinking. And she doesn't do it in those words, but uh, that's the essence of her message. And she quotes this verse by saying, In all things where principle is involved, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind. And she's quoting uh, from Romans here. Uh, So it isn't just feast days that are... It's not optional stuff. It's everything. We do not use force. And in every way, uh, in everything where principle is involved, let everyone be persuaded in their own mind. And we can always stop uh, heated conversations with people over the Sabbath with that statement. You know, you have to be persuaded in your own mind. Question on that. Who is the audience that he's speaking to? Is it, is it? It's the Christians in Rome. They're Christians in Rome, but are they? But is it? And the he's Jew, also is it the Jewish believers in Rome, or is it? It all, seems to be. It seems, it seems to be the, be Jewish, the Jewish believers, believers, in believers in Rome. He's trying to win over uh, and trying to present present a bridge. If you look at the first few chapters of Romans, that's what seems to be going on. What's the verse there that you be persuaded in your own mind? The verse is chapter fourteen, five, <coughs> verse five. Yes. Each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Mm-hmm. So we got as far as verse 12, so then each of us will be accountable to God. This, this thing of uh, I'm better than you and I know more than you and, and so on uh, is really opposed by Paul. What would the Jewish believers in Rome, if they weren't keeping the Sabbath, what would they be doing with any other day? Well, it's very clear because of Paul's own actions that Jewish Christians were still keeping the festivals. Still keeping the festivals? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
they were still doing all of that. So they were keeping keeping those holy days. And it may have been that that's the background of the discussion, is that they were trying to enjoin the festivals on the Gentile Christians who were becoming believers. And in that case, and Paul's saying, no, you don't have to keep the festivals. That's not the issue. But Paul, when he was with Jews, he acted as a Jew, and he kept festivals. Because the Messianic Jewish believers today... Um, some teach it exactly that way that it had it had it, for the Jews they kept that day but it was not to be necessarily impressed upon others yeah, but they have yeah, a different reason for it yeah that's probably true um, you know I think there's just a wide divergence of opinion around okay. that so let's start with verse 13 let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another this is a natural uh, conclusion to make based on so each one of us will be accountable to God. Let us no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. So if your actions are going to make someone fall or sin, and I can think of an example. When it comes to Sabbath keeping, some Adventists feel free to do certain things that other Adventists don't. So, uh, suppose we had uh, a situation where we felt it was appropriate to do something, and a believer who was with us did not, and was very concerned. I'll give you an example that actually happened to me. I... I used to uh, teach an honors, co-teach an honors class with another professor, and we would take them out to eat. We would take them the the field trip that we took them on was to the Temple Emanuel Synagogue, <coughs> or yeah, synagogue in uh, San Francisco. So we take them to a, a Shabbat welcome service in this synagogue, and then afterwards we would make we would go to a restaurant. That was, I think, in in Ronert Park, uh, and and we would take have them eat there. And usually, if everything went well, we would arrive there before sundown, and we uh, the meal would be paid for before sundown, and we would just eat in the restaurant and then head for home. This is a Friday evening. Friday evening, yeah. That's when Shabbat Shabbat welcome services happen. And this one particular time, a student asked to be let off at the train station. Bart. Well, if you know anything about San Francisco, uh, it hasn't it hasn't ever been revised since the 1800s. <laughs> you know, it's and so Bart comes in way at the at the uh, I would say the east end of San Francisco, and and to get there, the roads you can't cut across and take shortcuts or anything in San Francisco. You take the long way around, and so by the time we got the student deposited. The hour was getting late because the traffic was bad. Uh, things and it was getting the sun was lowering in the sky. And I had a student who said she could not eat if the meal if the meal was going to be paid for on the Sabbath. I she wasn't. Yeah, and well, in I, that case, it probably would have happened. Sounds like. Yeah, it would. It would have happened. It would have happened. It would have been sundown, and they would have paid on Sabbath. Yeah, so. because of the delay I that we had delay. that we weren't expecting. And, you know, here I have a bunch of college students who are hungry, and there's no cafeteria open when they get back. Mm-hmm. And um, they may or may not have food in their room. 
and were some, it's, were some it's of a long not, trip home. Not necessarily even believers. Um, there were a, f- a couple maybe that weren't, but most of them were Adventists. Mm-hmm. So I tried to explain to her this is a unique situation. Um, I have these hungry students, and we need. I need to provide for them food, and this is really the pra- most practical and really only way I can do that. Because we didn't know where there was a good restaurant that we could eat at that would have vegetarian food in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We weren't familiar enough with the city for that. But you had one. In Runner Park. In Runner Park. Yeah. So um, we went there, and she did not eat. Mm-hmm. She simply refused. And th- that was fine, you know, if, if she felt that way. So, so the question would be, if um, based on what Paul says here, does that mean I should have said, okay, well, we're not going to eat. Everybody's not going to eat because of this one student, because of the weaker. Because that would, that would injure her, probably, in her Sabbath keeping, if she ate. So that's, that's my case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, which way do you want to look at it? Because if you see it from her, so would it injure her? And then, but let's say we did it her way. Would it injure everyone else? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's now like you have a utilitarian. Now you have a utilitarian problem, right? Because <laughs> I could see it injuring the others in the sense of I'm hungry, and then getting angry at this whole Sabbath thing, and you know, because I've seen that happen too. Yes. It's like, yes. why are we respecting one person's view and not other people's view on what they feel is appropriate to do? I guess it takes. I guess it takes discernment to know which it is. Yeah. The, the, the thing of it is, is I've been in that same situation, and I felt that people were being too slovenly and flagrant, and I just said, you know what? If you guys want to go do that, um, you can do that. No, I'm fine. And I just, I didn't participate. Mm-hmm. I can miss a meal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. And, I, and I, I felt that way because I felt that they were being too sloven, slovenly. I mean, like, we could have been... Ex- like sloppy with it. Yeah, we could not, have been expedient. We could have been... Yeah. yeah. And it was just being, like, careless. Yeah. And I just, I yeah. felt like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this because of carelessness. Yeah. You know? And right. so I said, I'm fine. And the other thing I don't like is when people go fuel up on the Sabbath and I'm, I'm, I'm traveling with them. And, you know, I let them know, you know, if I'm, if I'm with them and that's what they're going to do, that's what they were going to do. And I didn't know they were going to do that. And I just let them know that I'll provide them with, with my contribution um, a little later on. And I will do that. I won't forget. But um, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have that for you later on. So I don't make my contribution at that time. I mean, if, even if I have the money in my pocket, I don't do it. Because I think they could make that effort to do that, and yeah. it's just more disregard. You know, it's just more disregard. Let, let me let me make this a little more muddy. There's a story about mm-hmm. Ellen White, where an Adventist woman would not pay for a bus fare to get to church. She didn't have a car. This was, I believe, in New York City, mm-hmm. and she took public transportation. Uh, she would not pay. She would walk miles to get to church. And Ellen White made the comment that she gla- was glad she wasn't that rigorous. She would have paid. She would have paid. Yeah. And, and there's another story of uh, she was talking with a friend of hers on Sabbath afternoon. And there was a knock at the door. And the person... Ellen White's friends or the other ladies? Ellen White's friends. Uh, and, and there was a knock at the door. She was at the friend's house. And he went to the door to find a man delivering... COD, that means pay on delivery, 
uh, some nuts that he had ordered. Who, who's, the, who's the case? Who is it with? Ellen White's Ellen friend. White. Ellen White's friend. friend. Okay. And she was at her house. And, <clears throat> and so he, this friend came back to Ellen White and says, I don't know what to do. I forgot to tell them that I didn't want the delivery on Saturday. And he's at my door wanting payment. She says, we'll pay him and let's enjoy our Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) She did ask him, did you tell him not to come on Saturday? And he he said, no, I forgot to do that. She said, we'll pay him and let's enjoy our Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So Ellen White was very practical Mm -hmm. uh, about how she kept Sabbath. So just, just to bring all sides to this equation, I think that the weak person is usually the most conscientious. I, I think because the, the, it's a, in the context of this chapter, the weak person is the one who is towing the line and refusing to eat food offered to idols. Whereas for Paul, uh, it didn't matter because he didn't worship the idol. Yeah, it was just he knew, food. He knew his God. He, yeah, it, it was just food. So uh, I, I think that that's the context here. It reminds me of something else that, that Ellen White said about tithe, that if somebody can't pay their tithe, you should pay it for them. So it's kind of like a put up or shut up type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, there are people that I know, that it, uh, quite a few people that I know that pay, pay the, um, use the community service um, to get to church and, or pay the bus fare and what echoed in my mind is, if you're not willing to go over there and pick them up yourself, don't have anything to say about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to make that work. So it just rebuked me about yeah. speaking up. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I get some I, with this verse, because I've, I've, not to, the part that I don't like about this verse, that says not to put an obstacle or a stomach block in a, in a brother's way, is I don't know if it's because it's been used this way or what. As um, why are you? Why do I feel responsible for how you're going to react? You know what I'm saying? Like if I do something, why am I responsible for that? It's not responsibility. It's love. It's love. And yeah. so yes, that's what I have come to. That it, I guess I'd use the word respect. Like, let's respect the fact that they are not comfortable with wearing jewelry and we're going to their house and let's just, let's just not wear jewelry when we go. So mm-hmm. I have come to the terms of, I won't wear world jewelry at that time, not because I have a problem with it, but I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have, I have had to come to that point. Mm-hmm. And because I've used yeah. it, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's an issue of responsibility because mm-hmm. he says we are each accountable for, right. for God. Right. So right. this is not an issue of responsibility. Mm-hmm. This is an interest in, uh, issue of love. Mm-hmm. What is the loving thing to do right. uh, in the situation? So uh, he says, I know and per- am persuaded, and I'm now in verse 14, mm-hmm. in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's now talking about food again, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. In other words, what you perceive is real. Yeah. He's, he's, he's actually owning that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever... It's giving up of self. I, I, tried to explain, <laughs> I tried to explain to this student, very, as tactfully as I knew how, why I was going to be feeding 
her her classmates. But I said, if you don't feel comfortable with that, I understand. I guess I've seen this. I don't know if it's been used this way or this is the way I have heard the verse in the past is um, giving a reason for why you shouldn't do something because you're going to make someone else fall. So do it for that reason. I haven't heard it's because heard you're responsible. You're responsible yes. for them falling. No, that's yes. not an issue. The yes. issue is do the loving thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the but we, I think, yeah, anyways. So following on the same verse 15, do not let what you eat cause the ruin Oh, here it is. For one for whom Christ died. Wait, which one is it? 15. Oh, do not destroy 15. with your... Wait, what would you read? Verse 15, the last part. Do not destroy with your food for one for whom Christ died. How does it read on yours? Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So, hmm... That poses a real problem in situations where you have multiple factors and multiple mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that so that you don't ruin? I think what we have to do is encourage that person and maybe go along with them that we're not doing the, the best thing. We feel that we, this, is, this is the only way to handle the situation at this point, but that it is not, strictly speaking, right or something like that. And I think the part that's challenging, because it says, like, the weaker, you know, using those mm-hmm, kind of words, mm-hmm. the challenge for me is then, oh, I must be stronger. You know, that whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know that, that thing of... Well, like, he's talking of, about... Of, of above. He's talking about weakness. So I have to keep that in check. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not about that, Lord, but that's what, like, comes up, this yeah. humanness of me. The, of, the weakness is, <clears throat> what the weakness is, is the temptation to worship the idol because I'm eating the food. That's the weakness. Say it again. The weakness is the temptation of the person who's weak Mm -hmm. to worship the idol because he's eating the food offered to the idol. And it's somebody that's either come out of that culture and that's what their practice that they're coming away from, or they've been so surrounded by it that they're appalled by it that they don't know any other way to defend themselves against that by not doing it ever. I think. Yeah, I, they, they're afraid of being sucked back into sucked, this culture. Into it. What you have is, again, they're trying to protect themselves by not eating that. And, and if you go along with that and don't eat either, then you're supporting them, right. is what Paul's saying. And, and the thing of it is, it, it, the principle, I find, applies to all of us more than we even know because we're always doing, throwing up little guards in certain situations and circumstances where we're still yet weak and we're afraid yeah. that if we get near that, we're going to get sucked yeah, back into it. True. So it really does apply to mm-hmm. everybody, not just because we all have a weak area. you know. And, and it makes sense that Paul is talking mostly to Jews because they're the ones, they're, they're not going to eat, they're totally against idolatry. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there could be some weak ones also that, that honestly believe that eating that food is an act of worship. It's because they did they did gather around the idol and eat the food in in I think in communal worship. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of remember Isaiah from San Jose Church. He was an excellent trumpet player because he used to in his former life right before before, Christ, before, yeah, before Christianity or becoming before, a Christ. Yeah. He lived an entire lifestyle. That included, you know, music and with mariachis or whatever, which they're very good musicians. 
but he would not play trumpet in church as an act of worship to Christ or, or a special because he music. saw it as a secular because instrument. He saw it as a secular because it referred to his past life, and so he couldn't do it. And I remember feeling the loss because oh man, I wish he would because he was so good, but he couldn't do it. The connotation for him, was right? It was that music. it was worldly Not worshiping God, and um, I don't know. I, I don't know if he came around or, he, or it became stronger for him, his faith. I can't remember. Or if it always stayed that way for him. But it reminded me of that right now. There, going back. There's still a lot of confusion for me in this verse simply because of the way in which they lived in those times. They had bazaars, which are places where things are sold in, in the street. or That's the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And everybody living there it fully knows that that place sells kosher meat, it's bloodlet, it's properly prepared. This one over here, it's been through the temple service, it's laid down before the altar, picked up, and then he, the merchant sells it. And so they know all these things. But what's confusing to me, if this is Jew, if these are Jews and they are still is somewhat immersed in the um, economy, the Jewish economy, why would anybody be comfortable going and getting it from that place because it's already not even kosher? So, you see, I'm still confused about the real application of it this. It isn't clear. It isn't clear. It isn't clear whether Paul actually ate kosher. That's not clear. He mingled, he mingled in the mm-hmm. Gentile community. Did he obey kosher? Yes. And I'm, my hunch is he didn't. I mean, if he did, if he was willing to... What would his reason be? What would his reason be? His reason would be that this was a part of the law that was no longer part of the Jewish... It was the Christian economy now. And and Jesus' death had... It's it's like circumcision. He was willing to do away with circumcision. Even though Christians borrowed that from Judaism and practiced it on infants. For for hundreds of years we've practiced it. And we claim it's for health, but that's only a recent claim. That's only a recent claim? I think so. I think originally Christians practiced it because the Bible, Bible taught it. But Paul does away with it, with the Gentiles. It was practiced prevalently in this, in this country. Right. I, every male child was right. circumcised. Right. Except until up until some year, few years ago where they began I, You to, shouldn't say every. My dad was not circumcised in, in infancy. His brother persuaded him to become circumcised when he was 14. Well, I'll tell you, in, <laughs> I'll tell you, in gym class, there were only a couple of kids that I ever came across that seemed very peculiar to me because they were different, and I only learned later that was what was different. So, I mean, and we were, we were brought up, I mean, my parents were biologists, and we were brought up that, no, that's what everybody does. And um, the, the people that made, there were a lot of Jewish doctors in this country, probably more than people know, and Jewish doctors, even before I was a convert, made very strong health cases to me. They were the ones that were probably going after this thing and betting it in society. I am suspecting more than anybody else. And, and I, I don't know, but that's what everybody did until Dr. Edina Dell convinced everybody over the radio that there are a lot of nerves back there, down there, and you're, ha- you're denying yourself a lot of pleasure. And, <laughs> and everybody in the country began to change after that. Hmm. that people, it's not the end thing to do anymore. In fact, it's, it's seen the way the Germans saw it in Germany as barbaric. When and, and even the Germans put forth the way that the Jews prepare the animal for what they do is being barbaric 
when it was more barbaric the way the Germans were, were uh, ending the life of the animal than the way the Jew would. He had a very uh, solemn and sacred way and um, comforting way to bring the animal's life to a you know, cessation. So it's just, I don't know. It's <laughs> kind of difficult to figure all this stuff out sometimes. Therefore, judge no one and love, right? Yes. <laughs> I have a question. On Romans 14, though, we are interpreting that uh, it is speaking about meat offered to idols, although 14 doesn't say anything about That's that. That's true. It could be something different there, really. It could be. There's t- talking about their meats, not precisely those I've offered to idols. And yet they it does have. say that he offered meat and, not, and only vegetables. Well, yeah, well, Maybe this is an early vegetarian diet, huh? <laughs> well, it, it could, you know, they had a lot of things in the different uh, feasts and different that they had. They had mm-hmm. different uh, herbs and stuff to eat <laughs> or teas to eat. So there was, it could not, it, it couldn't, we only say that because we want to interpret this the way it says in Corinthians. But it doesn't really say that there. I Could thought it's, there was a place where Paul talks about eating well, verse meat. Two. Verse 2. Some as, believe eating yeah. anything will be, be, yeah, but I mean, where is he it, talks about idols. Is the word no, meat, it, is the word meat in the original language uh, implied animal? No. Or no, because, no. It's food. It's food in general. Exactly. Right. Yeah, That's be careful about that. Here. It's more like food yeah. instead of just Because meat. even the Asians I come across that have their little Buddhas set up, they yeah. lay... Veg- they lay everything before them Vegetables. and pick Fruit. them up and then eat them afterwards. Yeah. So it, the meat meat is the food. King James version of, exactly. of food in general. Hey. Okay, got it. Hey. Hey. You brought so, everybody. So, Good. so that would solve the kosher issue. That would, res- yeah. that would just take that, take out, of that out of the way. Okay. Good. Whatever is, is going isn't, on. Isn't it also here, though, as I have meditated on this, that Paul is really saying here, it, it can be the way, you can do it this way, the other way, be just doing it in love. He's really not speaking some of things of doing, because in Galatians he's saying, if you do this because you want to be saved, then that's anathema. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing things because you want to be saved. That's, and I think here it could be meaning for them, telling them, you can do it this way, as long as you're not doing these things because you are adding merits to your, your doing. You think what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's just you're here you just you do it one way or the other because you're unconscious the way you believe it is and don't judge the other. But it's not dealing with again I go to if he's he's doing the works, he's doing this because he wants to be right. saved. He's not dealing with that here. No, and, and and he's saying, you know, go along with your weaker brother yeah. because you love him. Exactly. And you don't want to lead him astray. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's out of love. Uh, so um, let's finish this verse 15 here. Oh, well, I guess we did. So verse 16. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Mm-hmm. Everything is indeed unclean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. Mm-hmm. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. 
Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat, because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Is he possibly talking to people about people who are in a works mode? And he's saying, you know, until they reach faith, they have to obey their conscience. Is, is that possibly what it is? Because the way he ends here, it makes me think that um, those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So does that mean be in a works mode until your faith is stronger? I think and so. And then it can I think shift it's, for I you. think so. Because, you know, I've, I've often thought that that is the way God led the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm-hmm. We started out really in a works mode in many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, keep the commandments, keep the whole Ten Commandments. But don't stay there. Uh, and and, and uh, we are very and, and a lot of Ellen White's most strict comments on Sabbath keeping on on all all the standards of the church come from that early time period from about I'll say 1850 to 1881 around there she she had she really laid down the law that's when she said that that young people in, in Battle Creek College should not be allowed to, to mingle with the opposite sex. And so uh, no, it, it, it seemed to be that she was saying no dating, n- nothing like that. I'll finish that story in a moment. But when after 1888, when the Righteousness by Faith message came, she began to open things up much more. And in her own practice begin to practice more principle-based action principle instead based of rule-based action. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to finish the story on the dating. She wrote that in the 1870s for Battle Creek College. And I, I happened to have the good fortune of working in uh, the, it wasn't the Ellen G. White Research Center, it was the Adventist Heritage Library within the James White Memorial Library at Andrews University. Mm-hmm. I worked there one quarter. Uh, they didn't pay me enough because <laughs> it was a. I worked there too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was fun. I would have loved to have stayed, but they didn't pay me enough for me to make ends meet, so I had to get a better paying job. But because mm-hmm. uh, it was it was a work labor thing where you were only allowed to pay a certain amount. Anyway. Um, a letter came from the Canadian Union Conference uh, to. Rel uh, Detteran's wife, Louise Detteran, mm-hmm. uh, who was head of that li- part of the library, yes. asking for a list of names of students between certain years, 1870-something to 1870-something, uh, who attended Battle Creek College from Canada. And <clears throat> the registers for Battle Creek College we're up on this cloak closet on top of the shell on the high, highest level. So she had to get a ladder. And I mean a ladder, not a step ladder, but a ladder. She had to get a ladder and climb all the way up there and get these. And, and back then they made paper really slick and heavy. Oh, that's right. And so these, and these registers were like about this big. Yeah. 
And so they were just huge and heavy. And she got a couple of them that she thought were the right years. And she started to descend the ladder, and they slipped out of her hands and knocked her off the ladder oh to the floor goodness. and injured her. So she handed the project over to me. I was supposed to create the list. And for the first time, I saw a hard document of something historic in the Adventist Church and felt it and, and read it. And here were the names, names in a list, beside each name, date of birth, age, and I think address. And I read the ages. Eleven. <gasps> Battle Creek College? Eleven. Eleven, twelve, eleven, sixteen, eleven. Eleven was the most common age. Eleven. Eleven. Age. Yeah. How interesting. Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, no wonder she said what she did. <laughs> really? It, it totally makes sense. So the name See, was... we didn't have high school much in the 1870s. It was it, when You went from elementary school to college. To college. Really? And, and and in Battle Creek College included the elementary grades. Mm -hmm. What we would call elementary grades. Right, the grammar school. That they what they would call grammar. grammar school. Yeah. Interesting. So that's fascinating. I was like, okay. <laughs> that explains why when she was in Australia, by, by now, this is eight, late 1800s, 1890s, by now, high schools were becoming quite common. So the general age of students in Avondale College were around 18, 19, 20, and 21. But when she originally wrote that, they were, the age was 11. Mm -hmm. But the Battle Creek College was a different situation. It was mm -hmm. before high schools were really developed. And she did say about Avondale College that older students should be allowed to have relationships with the office of sex. I can't remember exactly what she would, but it was like they could date or something. Uh, well, why? Because the situation had changed. Uh, I love to tell my students a story because... Context. Uh, context, context, is, context is everything, and that's why Ellen White said, mm -hmm. time, about her own works, time and place, place must be must considered. Be considered. Yeah. Uh, so... And, and really, isn't that what Paul's telling us? Yes. Time and place must be considered. There is something. I, I don't know exactly how to get it out of the words of the text here, uh, but there, there is a thing. And that is, is that if there is a person that believes something is wrong and another thing is right, and you know it's not even a moral or ethical issue, but but that is what they believe and if you try to do other than that around them or get them to do that and and they should they should believe and they do and they and they start doing other than what they believe before they enter into a conviction then it causes them to fall in every other area of their life because they honestly believe that they're they're doing wrong and i and and i speak from experience and from observation that it can make you start slipping in other areas of your life.
that you had it previously entered into because, a conviction. And this has to do with maturation level. Mm-hmm. What happens is, in an immature mind, everything weighs the same. There is no gradation. There is no, this is a matter of principle, this is a matter of, of uh, choice, option. Uh, there's no ability to, to, well, let me find a text that actually says this okay. better than I am. Are you saying immature mind as in literally the development of the mind? It can be. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. And keep in mind, I keep in mind if you go by Kohlberg's stages of moral development, only 25% of the population reach a maturity that allows for love. Right. Right. Look, where did that statistic come? <laughs> what was it? Oh, it's a huge spider. Oh, really? <laughs> it was Thank coming, you. It was coming down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that happened last member last week. Yeah. It, was real, it wasn't a huge spider, but it was a web. <laughs> where, did, where did that statistic come from? Lawrence Kohlberg did a study of moral development all over the world. He he visited all the main cultures of the world and discovered that it was exactly the same all over the world, regardless of the level of civilization or what have you. It, was he secular? or He was secular. He was secular. Uh, he developed, uh, he came to conclude that there were uh, six stages of development. And those stages follow childhood, adolescence, adulthood, um, and, and full maturation. Most people stop with stage four. Wow. Stage four is order and law. It's the rules, obeying the rules. Um, only 25% go to the next stage, which is the exceptions to the rules, the situation, uh, love, uh, all of those things. And only 15% of the population, no, I take that back, 10% of the population go to the stage of principles, principles, where you no longer look at rules, you weigh principles. But let's go to Hebrews 11, because Hebrews 11, I mean, not Hebrews 11, but Hebrews 6, I think it is. I may be having it wrong, it may be Ephesians, <laughs> so bear with me. What time period was he in? Did he do his research? Yes, here it is. I think it was the 70s. I wonder, is it changing any today? Because no, because it took off with rote memorization <laughs> and less principles understood and just go get the answer and turn the right answer in regardless no, of... No, it, it, it's still today that... Distribution? I, mean, I, I believe so. At least it's still being taught. No one has questioned it. Just disputed those statistics. No, because it doesn't matter how well educated you are. It's based on your ability huh? to mature. Um, Hebrews. Oh, and Hebrews. One, yeah. And would you say that one could consider the ability to mature can be based in um, development arrest early on because of trauma? Yeah, it, it could be arrested. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much has been done in psychology about that. I'm not a psychologist, but. Yeah, uh, so chapter 5 of Hebrews. About this we have much much to say that is hard to explain since you have become dull in understanding. What verse? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. 
About this, we have much to say. Can you start is, again? I'm sorry. I, yeah, I okay. just did. Okay. About this, we have much to say that is hard to explain since you have become dull in understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, mm-hmm. you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Mm-hmm. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Is, is this the difference between fact-based and principle-based? Well, I see. I see. We all start on a, on the kind of the proverbs level, what I call the proverbs level. Good, <coughs> uh, um, right, and wrong. This is right. This is wrong. We all start out that way. I mean, that's what we're taught, right? But maturity is moving, shifting from right and wrong to good and evil. When you talk about good and evil, you're talking about principles. No longer rules. See, rules can be bad. Some rules can be bad. Sometimes we think we're right and we're absolutely bad in the way we treat other people. So that's how I see that, and I see the Bible as as portraying that. There's another way to look at maturity in the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Could I, I'd like to go back to what you were saying in reference to um, and that is what we started for. Um, as I understand it, you must take culture into consideration, place and culture. Time and place. Yes, time and place. That I understood that during that time in the United States, the majority absolutely, of Christians absolutely, absolutely. are not all what percent, 50, they were 60%. All, they were all pretty legalistic, yeah. And so the thing was that the only thing they did were not, were accepting Christ, it was that. Grace was, as I heard, preached by the other denominations. But far as the commandments were, they were not being exalted. So that's why when Adventists came through, they right. were saying, no, we must come back to the commandments, expressing Sabbath, of course, observance. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted them to see that part. And so that's why there was emphasis on the commandments right. of God. Right. But then later on, as it comes, years went by, then we as we got stuck. We got stuck to that, and that's when we come into the eighteen forty four right. eighty eight message. We come on, let's go back to what it is. It is Christ and obedience. because I, I think the early Millerite movement was closer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually did have that very Christocentric uh, way of looking at the gospel. Yes. So I think I think that they originally were that way, but when Adventists began to discover the Sabbath and, and began to discover some other things, they found themselves up against trying to defend themselves, mm-hmm. and that defense I think trying to a lot of a lot of debating and arguing went on in the early early church, and consequently they fell into the trap of exactly because yeah. there's nothing that'll make you more an ardent legalist than try to prove your point. <laughs> exactly, and that what happened then. But that it wasn't that the commandments should be done away with. Well, they were there, but yeah, we should do it because we love to be involved. Christ exactly. should be in the center of it. Right. Yeah. Can you make any physical, uh, economical uh, relationship between you know a baby, milk, and then you get older, you start eating solid food? How do you? How does he get? Milk equal to like fact based and meat e- and hard food equal to principle. How do you, milk where do you is, find that milk in Milk is the easiest thing to digest. Okay, it's the easiest thing to digest. 
That's just that's it. That's what you yeah. do with it. Milk is he's, easy. He's using he's using this as a metaphor. I don't think we can break it down as an allegory. It's a metaphor, and a metaphor makes one point. The point is you're still on baby food, mm-hmm. and you need to progress to adulthood. And, and us eat. mammals, we start yeah. out with milk. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to turn to to First Corinthians thirteen because this is the love chapter. But it's also about maturity. And that's what I was going to say. That's really maturity there. So um, I that chapter as well. So... Lord help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love really just think of others. Just like you were reading about Revelation. I mean, Revelation. Uh, Romans 14, same thing. You think of others more than yourself. And I say, wow, that, that's maturity indeed. So Paul's saying, and I'm not going to read the first few verses, but he's saying that you can have everything you need, even faith, needed to move mountains. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. Mm-hmm. Love is patient. Love is kind. Mm-hmm. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages or tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. No, no, what I believe now is always going to be. (laughs) (laughs) But we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. Mm -hmm. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. So I, I think I think we can't mature at all. And this is where Kohlberg... We can't. We can't mature at all without love. And I think this is where Kohlberg missed it. I think he didn't understand how to mature. He, he felt if he presented a problem that they couldn't solve without moving to another level... Um, <clears throat> that you couldn't mature. And I think there's some truth to that. I think that that's why we have trials, is to try to push us to higher levels of maturity. But at the same time, it is love that matures us. Mm-hmm. And and according to Kohlberg's stages, love can be found on the third stage, community stage. It's really a love stage. Mm-hmm. With each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's away from power. The first two stages are power-based. Then you get, get to a love stage, community stage. And uh, I think a child can be converted at age five to love and begin to mature. Um, it happened to me. That's why I say that. Maybe I'm just unique on the planet. But somebody was preaching Jesus, I think it was HMS Richards, uh, at a youth congress in Portland. And he preached so beautifully about Jesus 
And when he asked everybody to stand who would give their hearts to Jesus, I stood, and I had tears in my eyes. I was just totally moved. And then I decided afterwards I was a terrible sinner because I was always fighting with my brother. (laughs) (laughs) And that would not have come home to me without meeting the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I believe I I was genuinely converted at that age. Mm -hmm. But did you respond or did you reason? Because Ellen White says we can respond. We respond before we reason. Before well, reason. I, I responded because you can't see the love of Jesus without realizing you don't have it, and that response is is a, a, a rational one, isn't it? Not? Well, she, has, she says something interesting. She says that that um, you 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 begin to reason at the age of accountability, and some people don't have that until their 20s some people have it by the time they're young children and she says before that you have the capability of responding but then in another statement she she sort of contradicts that which i i and i believe in both statements she says really all we do anyway is respond <laughs> because <That's true. laughs> because because it's like it's like the cross we get it but it's close when you sort of get it you sort of don't no, quite get it. <laughs> and she says we're going to be studying it for all eternity yeah. and never fully yeah. understanding it. We respond and then we study. And we, we, we do re, 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 uh, research and, re, and reasoning and, and all of that. But I was converted twice. And the reason for it was because uh, I, was, I was in a community that was very legalistic. I was taught legalism and... Uh, Sabbath school. I was t- I was taught legalism in church school. I was taught legalism every Sabbath morning <coughs> in sermons. Uh, it was just embedded in our society. And by the time um, I was fourteen, I was a first class legalist. I was critical of everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. So I had to be reconverted. Um, but wouldn't you say this is life? Responding and. What was the other one? Reason. Well, like we're reason. all like we do study, then we respond again. And we do but study, sometimes we, we study like, we like study the happens. wrong the wrong things. I was taught oh, I wrongly. Yeah. I was taught yeah. about the investigative judgment in a way that was very yeah. very harmful. What her implication is is that even when you reach the age of accountability and you do reason and you come to conclusions, mm-hmm. well that's fine, that's a tr- that's a true thing. But really in fact all you really do is respond anyway, because it because it's like I beat I beat myself over when I was a kid about the existence of God. I didn't really believe in God, mm-hmm. but I was trying to figure out how does something exist that creates everything else. I mean, it's just something you're never really, you're probably never really going to understand yeah. as created beings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a principle and a principle. And what was the other rules? Rules. Yeah. Uh, you know, principles have to be applied. Mm-hmm. As I understand through Sister White's writings, that in heaven, the angels were unaware of rules or yeah. th- you know. It came to them as something unthought of that right. there was law because they were just doing it on the principle. But it came out later when we, this world was made. These principles, these principles of heaven, had to be applied to us as human beings. Right. Well, there was pr- applied the principle yeah. applied to and, angel and angelic hosts, but to us. Now we needed to know what that love principles really, how it really revealed through us. That's why we have the Ten Commandments. Because if I don't know how to love God, how do I know how to love God unless I have the first, what is it, four? <laughs> the last six to love human yeah. beings. So, of course, as I see also those are promises, you know, the claims yeah. of God to us. 
So here we have principles now applied to human beings. We cannot divorce them, though, either. No. As long as they're done through love, then it's not legalistic. Now, when it's done without love, only rules, then it becomes a legalistic thing. Well, rules are for people who haven't experienced love. Love is normally... Uh, we, we love because he first loved us. And she says that the angels were in a relationship with God of love where they were like sons. Mm-hmm. And, and they never thought of it as, as being told what to do. It, they simply copied God. In, in the way he loved them, mm-hmm. they loved him back and they loved one another. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But down here, because we are imperfectly loved, we need rules. Yeah, in order to in order to spell out how love behaves. Exactly. That's interesting because when he started to talk about the creation of the world, somebody wanted to copy that, yeah. and that wasn't copyable. No, that wasn't. And then that then then a dispute rose. Yeah. Interesting copy. I'm gonna have to remember that. Okay. And how would you fit in then, like the um, human development, the, the the child you said. If if a child is would be perfectly, you know, go through a perfect womb experience, which a lot of us didn't, yeah. <laughs> uh, go through a perfect womb experience, come out with with natural birth, uh, coming out without any drugs involved, uh, with that minimal pain of the mother, which rarely happens, the child, and then is perfectly loved by his parents. The child would understand by watching mom and dad what is right and wrong. They would understand by experience uh, with minimal rules, rules. With minimal rules. And that's why Ellen White makes it very clear that in the classroom, for example, or in the home with children, make the rules as few as possible. And, and make them with the children's cooperation so that they help make the rules. So, yeah... But that only works when you set the example, then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we need our time is up. Thank you all for making this a rich experience.